good morning everyone and thank you very much for joining this morning um, i'm very delighted to um, introduce you to thea brook um, we've been working with Thea for a little while now um, Thea has done amazingly well she um actually Thea Thea, Thea describes herself as a natural born workaholic, actually, which I quite like, um, <laughs> and started in hospitality from a, from a tender age, actually, 14. Um, she learned the basics of working in a professional kitchen and just fell in love with the world of food. Um, she trained in finance and after holding a number of director level positions, started a plant based restaurant called The Brook in 2013. Um, and they've won a Time Out Award in 2018. And then subsequently, Thea started Brook Vegan Foods based on recipes from the restaurant um, and raised a very large amount in funding to take the, the range into retail. Um, so they've been developing their direct customer platform and so far have won three great taste awards. Right? I think we said two originally and you're just busy <laughs> getting them as you go. So uh, yeah, it, so it's quite, um, quite a number of accolades. Um, so yeah, welcome Thea, and thanks for joining us this morning. Um, so Thea and I are going to have a we have a um, we have a few points that we're going to work our way through, um, and then we'll take questions at the end if that's all right. So Thea, would you like to just tell me a little bit about what your business is first? Yeah, absolutely. Morning, everybody. Um, so yes, yeah, so as as Mel said we started as a restaurant so we were a restaurant for about five years and then we were at a point where the restaurant was doing really well vegan food was really starting to see um you know a lot more focus this was back in 2017 so when it really just started to get a bit more attention and we wanted to expand what we were doing we knew we we had a very good impact on people particularly people with um a traditional diet who weren't vegan so the majority of our customers weren't vegan um but you know really into their meat and dairy and, and you know traditional eating and absolutely loved our food so we wanted to be able to position um the food in a wider market so that more people could get access to it and we could really just show people what's possible with plant-based ingredients um just to help, to help spread that message so we thought about expanding through restaurants and decided that would be an awful way to spend the next 15 or so years because restaurants are very stressful um so that's where the idea came about to try and take some of the recipes we developed and launch them into retail so we spent about the first year of the business we, we did a fundraise um through um cedars initially to say you know we're going to work on this for the next year and try and figure out which products we could launch into retail. Um, and we've been doing that now for just over two years. So we had we had about a year under our belt and we were really ready to go with the range um, big time at the start of 2020. So that was great timing. Um, and we've done yeah three, three raises over the course of that time um, and raised just under a million to keep funding our product development and expansion. The growth of the business so we're now we've launched into co-op um regions, planet organic and whole foods and um, a lot of independent retailers um, we have um branded freezers in our range so so we've gone uh, down a, a retail route that's very similar to the cook model um so our branded freezers can sit 
alongside Cook and be the plant-based offering um, they're, they're growing. And then we have, this year we've launched, um, we've really put focus into our, our website and our direct consumer, which is now doing really well as well. well that's great. Tell, tell us a little bit about your um, the products in your range and how you develop them. So we, we, we struggled to know where to start, actually, because we had five years of restaurant recipes to choose from. So whether we went into, you know, we had burger recipes, we had dessert recipes, um, lots of sauces, all those kind of things. So we actually picked um, meals as the first line that we would develop. And in with hindsight, that was probably the hardest thing we could have gone for. <laughs> it was a bit of a steep learning curve. Um, because we decided to go so, on, sorry. what makes you say what makes you say that meals were the hardest choice is it number of components or yeah so the, from a component perspective they are complicated to produce especially with a lot of the speciality ingredients we use for making them plant-based but keeping them at a premium quality plant-based they're they're the kind of ingredients that you can't necessarily buy bulk from wholesalers at the moment so there's you know, in the restaurant we can open lots of small jars but no manufacturer really wanted to talk to us about doing that <laughs> um and we also chose to do them frozen um for sustainability reasons and food waste and that's difficult logistically because um the uk doesn't have lots and lots of networks available for frozen food um so yeah so it was a it was a challenging product if we decided to start with a source to begin with that would have been a much easier routine um, but yeah so we started with meals so we've got i think now we're up to 11 meals in the range and then this the start of this year we also launched our package here so we launched our um vegan fish cakes so that's one we're really happy with because that was a bestseller in the restaurant and it's a it's a space in a plant-based um that's not really got a lot going on just yet there's there's a lot of work to do on plant-based seafood alternatives so really happy with that and we are now moving into sources as well so that would be an ambient source range that people can cook dinner with at home but also we can help support the food service industry as well that's int interesting to hear so um so your initial um customers were um just yeah direct customer was the food service offering then a, a, an add-on to that? Um, so we we decided from the outset that we were going to work on food service as a channel because of our restaurant background. Okay. Um, um, understanding what it is that chefs need, kitchens need, um, and the fact that there are a lot of food service businesses are struggling with their vegan offerings um, because you might hire one great vegan chef, but then when they leave, it's really hard to keep that momentum going. Um, so that was an area we really wanted to work in. Um, that's obviously been a, a disaster for the last year. So we've had our focus more in retail and, and now direct to consumer. Okay, that's really interesting. And in terms of in terms of your customers, what, what feedback do you get? What do they say that they like about your products? So the, the feedback that I love, the, the, the the main feedback we aim for is that people can't tell it's vegan. That's uh -huh. our, as when we're product developing, that's the really thing that's really important to us. So, so interestingly, we actually didn't open the restaurant as a plant-based restaurant. We were extremely meat and dairy heavy when we first opened. The restaurant transitioned about two years in to being open. 
so when we first did that with the restaurant we we made the change um on the basis that we could only swap out products if you couldn't really tell or if it was as good as or better than the original product um so we've always kept going with that mentality um so that you can give the product to somebody who's not vegan and they would enjoy it just as much as something that contain animal products so that's my favorite feedback is when when people say you know i wouldn't have told that mac and cheese didn't contain dairy cheese yeah yeah well that's that's amazing did you did you just out of interest did you find that your customer base changed as you changed your offering not really actually and um, so i think in the early days we were because we were a local um restaurant we you know we we're right out on the border of london surrey um, so we have a local community who came to us. By the point where we changed our menu, I think they had just had trust in what we do and the fact that we 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 put a lot of care and time into it. So they were very interested to come on the journey with us and and explore this new foods that we were putting in front of them. Amazing. So we were quite lucky from that perspective. So how's how's COVID and the lockdowns affected your business? It's been it, it has it's been interesting, as I'm sure it has for everybody. Um, so we we spent probably the the last six months up to lockdown really going all in our focus on food service. So when the news of lockdown came in, that was that was a big shock for us. Um, I spent the first month um, just in meltdown. I think it's probably safe to say with lots of wine. <laughs> um, and then we we just decided where we were going to focus our efforts, and, and you know it was online was the sensible choice to begin with. Um, which has actually took us quite a long time to get our heads around because we, again, it's frozen food. So the shipping of it's quite difficult um, for online sales and yeah. we knew that we needed to be able to offer it on a subscription basis as well as a one-off basis. And so the technology behind being able to get our website up and running um, took us quite a while to get in place. And then there's the whole world of actually digital marketing and getting that to work, which was another painful experience that, so we focused on that and then we were quite lucky in the summer we um had a new opportunity come on board with co-op and that included launching our brand of freezers in so that was quite unexpected we didn't think so much would happen towards the end of last year with retail right Um, but it did start to pick up from us from about um the end of q3 onwards so um what um what channels do you sell through at the moment? So we're currently retail and retail split into two where we go into retailers' own freezers and where we go in with the branded freezers and then direct to consumer. We haven't launched with anybody on food service yet because that's obviously all yeah. been a bit difficult for the past year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that's fair about fair enough. But um when when you when you target places to sell, how do you how do you go about that? Do you have any tips for anyone with retailers? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I guess it's been a steep learning curve for the last couple of years. That's the first thing to say. Um, it's not it wasn't at all what I expected when we first started out. I mean, um, spent probably about the first nine months of doing this very frustrated that we couldn't get anywhere fast with retailers because mm-hmm. we had this amazing product and why didn't everybody want it? From <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think what I've learned is firstly, it's really important that you understand how the commercials work for the retailer. Yeah. Um, 
and also really what their job is and what their challenges are as a buyer mm-hmm. um, because they are always you know overloaded and juggling a lot of things and move around quite a lot so they're constantly getting script with new categories and and ultimately they don't have empty shelf space that that's where they're going to put you it's all about who they switch you out for um so i think really understanding that challenge and what's going on in a category is important mm-hmm. um and then being able to sort of build that relationship and build it longer term and build up the trust and understand it's ultimately as a new business you're you're quite risky to them when they've got other products on their shelves that are performing at a certain level they don't know how you're going to perform so it's about building that trust with them that if they were to take a chance on you their numbers aren't going to go down and, and they're going to have to answer for it <laughs> internally um, yeah. so we I think patience is really important I mean Planet Organic and Whole Foods we first met two years almost two years before we ended up on their shelves mm-hmm. um, and they always seemed really keen and wanted to follow up and then we couldn't get hold of them and then we'd see them again six months later at an event and they're really keen and wanted to follow up and then we couldn't get hold of them so yeah. there's this there's this journey of feeling like this isn't going anywhere anywhere they seem to be interested but they're not interested and yes. we just had to be really patient and keep them updated with when we developed a new product or if we had news or you know we hit another business milestone and then eventually suddenly at the start of this year it's it, it all sort of came together so yeah that's I think patience and relationship and things is the key thing yeah absolutely absolutely no that's that's good advice and then just just with the shoe on the other foot then obviously you're selling direct as well how have you used social media and seo to support your direct channels because it's quite often a good option for startups yeah so we actually um so when i first started out with looking at how we were going to attract customers to the the online shop i did find it was a bit daunting because there's so many different ways you know seo and social the two of the options um and i definitely fell um into the trap of trying to do trying to understand everything at once and do everything at once mm-hmm. and somebody gave me a bit of advice last year just to say you know, you really need to just pick one of the one of the routes that you're going to focus all in on to begin with and understand it and get it working and then you can build from there and um, yeah. we actually decided that we would do facebook ads Okay. that first channel so we do we use social media we, we we do regular posts and we do see some revenue coming through that channel but um it's not it doesn't have a lot of strategy behind it other than we know our audience and we know how to talk to them and we know how to keep them up to date with things that's really what we do um seo basics um i learned what we should how we should structure all of our content pages so things like meta titles, meta descriptions. So you're effectively any data you put on your website, you're telling Google this is what you're looking for when somebody's clicked through from a Google search. So we did very basic things like that and making sure our load speed was good of our pages. Um, but beyond that, SEO is actually the next phase of our digital strategy. So over the next few months, I've got a strategy that we're going to be putting in place for more blog content more rich content you know where we can start to dig into some of those search terms a bit better mm-hmm. um but yeah we really had sort of nine months of trying to get facebook ads to work which has been very frustrating 
enough. We're there, we're there now. Okay. You're doing really well. Um, so, uh, obviously, you've, you've had some help and support along the way. You've talked about, you know, some things work, some things don't. Are there any particular types of support that you think have made a crucial um, input to your, the success of your business? Yes, definitely. So I have a business coach and I think that's probably the, you know, she's life changing for me. It took me ages to decide whether to take on a business coach. And actually the first right. one I took on wasn't quite right for me and, and almost put me off the idea after taking so long to decide how to do it. But no. now that I have found the right coach for me, yeah. um, I like I lean on her like she's I don't know she's like my business mom or something <laughs> so it's like my weekly therapy session or something um so I really I, I think having a coach is really you know a huge change for the business and I know has made slash saved me so mm. much more money than I've invested in coaching so that's that's one um person um I also have a couple of sort of unofficial advisors um and these have come about really randomly but just through I made a decision at the start of this business. I've never really liked the idea of networking and, you know, I was always a bit scared of trying to like just reach out and meet people. Um, but I just decided I was going to make lots of friends in the food industry um, when we first started out. And through that kind of mind shift, I've built up quite a lovely network of people who are just super helpful. And there's a couple in particular who um, they're just on the end of the phone for me whenever I need it. And they both, run much bigger businesses or grow bigger businesses so you know if I hit a problem with one of our manufacturers or something to do with a retailer I'm you know just not sure about something I could just try them and pick up the phone and see if they can help um and often they'll connect me to somebody else who can if they can't so I think building those sort of unofficial networks is great and then just I guess finding the right that it takes time to find the right partners like you know us working together as an example it yeah. when you're first trying to figure out you know how do you approach mpd and get it right once you're doing it at that bigger scale um, yeah. you can you can connect with the wrong partners to begin with and it takes you a while to to land with the right kind of network of people that can support you in the business yeah no that's that's, that's really good advice um okay just a couple more questions and then we'll open up for, for everyone else's questions um just tell me a little bit about um, investments. So you have investors in your business? Yes. Yes. So so how did how did you go about finding them and setting them up and raising funding? So when we did our first raise, um, we obviously had our history of the restaurant. So people were able to see what we've done today. It was you know, going to be a slightly different model, but we had um customer reviews we had the revenue we built up we had um the awards that kind of social proof um so that really helped us with our first fundraise um but really what made the first fundraise possible it was people within my existing network who were willing to come in um, on the round so i raised about 30 percent i think of the first round that we did I raised through people I knew or people they knew who saw it as a good investment. Um, and like I say, could see that we we were able to run a business and generate revenue and, and take it somewhere. 
good. So that helped. And we, we then put that onto Cedars. And I think our first round was Cedars. We were really lucky, um, partly with the timing. I think um, a lot of people were interested in starting to move their money into sustainable investments. So mm-hmm. we, we were one of the first plant-based food businesses to raise on Cedars. Um, so I think that was, that was great. I think crowdfunding was at a really good peak at that point as well. A lot of people were looking to, to crowdfund. Mm-hmm. Um, so we actually we hit our target on the, the first day that we launched it. Wow. Um, and then we overfunded by 140% um, by like the third day. So it was a really, really good experience because I, I, I'd spent six months leading up to it and worrying and stressing and on launch day, I thought I was going to be sick. So nobody's going to be this. And then it went really well. So, um, so we did that. And then we've, we've pretty much fundraised exactly a year after each time. So um, our second raise, we went back to our existing investors and brought in a couple of new direct investors and then took that to the platform to do the the top, top up of the raise um and the same with with the third round we actually um used the the future fund that was available so it's 50 percent funded by the government for um as a convertible um but yeah it's been it's been very interesting learning more about raising investment and at what stage what kind of investors wants to talk to you um yes. and it's yeah i i've spent sort of at each raise probably a good three months um just speed dating investors is what i probably <laughs> <laughs> lots and lots of back-to-back calls just again similar to retailers understanding you know, what their situation is what they're looking for currently what they're what they might see is what you know why we might not be an investment for them at this stage and if in the future that might change um so so it's nice over those three raises we now have information about what we might want to do next and who we would go to because we know where they invest and, and at what stage of business right right that's that's really interesting thank you all right so my my last one then just before we wrap for questions is um so the is the is very um magnanimously started up a food entrepreneurs mastermind um perhaps you'd like to tell us a bit more about it there yes definitely yeah so i um this has come about because well two reasons firstly um it's something i wish i had more access to over the last couple of years so i've obviously had my business coach which has been amazing um mm-hmm. but it's not cheap to have a business coach um and i think if you don't have access to the right people who are going through the same challenges as you, um, Mm. it's very hard to work by yourself, running a business and have to make all these decisions by yourself. Um, And as a result, we've made a lot of mistakes and spent a lot of money in places we shouldn't have done if we'd known differently. Um, So yeah, so that's partly why why I'm doing it. And also just because I'm now, I'm really wanting to share my experience of what we've done and what we've, you know, with the investment, with the digital marketing, the retailers, um, and doing that through lots and lots of one-to-one calls isn't very sustainable muscle room of the business. Um, So the idea with the mastermind is it's a group of businesses um, all together, all at a similar stage of business. So everybody's going through very similar challenges, but potentially one person's a bit further ahead with their product development or their manufacturing or their marketing um but all kind of facing that that kind of similar group of challenges 
um, coming together on a weekly basis um, and focusing the sessions around hot seats. So the hot seat is focused on one of the businesses, what's the key challenge in that business right now? And then everybody comes together and puts in their experience of, you know, yes, I've already been through that. Here's what I did. Or I've got this contact of somebody who can really help you fix that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we troubleshoot and we come out with our actions for the key issues for each business in each mm-hmm. company. Um, and then the second part of, of the, the session is um, what I kind of call a, an MOT session so it's diving into one of the areas of the business that I think really needs to be in place and is often overlooked whilst we're running around like headless chickens trying to grow a business um, right. and one of the things my coach has helped me really focus on you know really housekeeping what's going on with with cash flow and finances and whether we understand our brand essence and our marketing funnel and all those kind of key foundational things that you need to have in place um, so it's a, it would be a group of sort of we're running two groups. One is um, like a really seed stage, so it's people who've got a product, um, but maybe have only just launched or haven't or were just about to launch. So that's really early stage. Um, mm-hmm. We're running a group of people who are um, taking sort of five figure revenue every month, and they want to to grow that. Um, so it's sort of like the two stages. Okay. Um, and it's going to be a, like a three-month program so we'll meet every week three months and then decide if we roll on after that okay and what's what's the cost of doing that I'm getting lots of questions coming in on the chat about it now okay <laughs> yeah what's the um, cost of doing it so it's 500 pounds a month mm-hmm. and it runs for three months um, and the sessions will be um 75 to 90 minutes every week okay set at the same time every week Fine. Okay. So we've had a few other questions. Um, a question from um, Abby that we're currently working with, actually. Um, she also has a frozen product. Um, do you have any advice on the direct-to-consumer solutions for a frozen product? Um, and also with lowering costs? Um, lowering costs on um, the, the shipping or the... Abby, would you like to... Unmute actually and ask ask a bit more yourself. Oh hi, yeah, sure. Hi Thea. Um hi. yeah, thank you so much. That was really, really great. Um yeah, I guess we're I'm just still figuring out kind of logistically how to make it work direct to consumer. Really want to do that for my frozen um ice cream. So I yeah, I guess lowering the cost um for yeah, for the distribution itself. Okay. Um, would be great yeah it is a tricky one so the the key things we've learned with frozen is that um it needs to be really packed in um so the air in the the box will really um affect if you, the, the more air that's in the box the more the temperature will rise and that will affect the product so it, it you really have to have it packed in it's one of the reasons it took us a while to sort out our e-commerce solution was that we knew we needed to have a box made that there was the exact right size for exact number of products um, so that they all fitted in really tightly. So um, I don't know um, what the, the shape of your product is. I mean, ours are boxy, our meals, so that really helps. We can do that. But obviously, if you've got sort of cone-shaped ice cream, you might need to think about them sitting in some kind of, you know, a, a holder so that they do fill out the space maybe. Um, Amazing. Then, that was 
really helpful. Cool. What um, have any thoughts for dry ice as well? Um, and we haven't used dry ice. Um, I know Mel could probably tell you all about dry ice. It's expensive, I will tell you. Actually. Yeah, that's why we haven't used it. And you can avoid it, and you can get. You can actually get. Um, if you can't buy them off the shelf, you can get um, um, made to measure insulated containers. If you buy enough, actually, the the price goes down. Um, yeah. That would help with the filling the space question. Yeah, and I uh, there's a we use um, paper based liners because obviously um, we didn't want to we couldn't use wool because it's an animal product and we weren't gonna uh, we didn't want to use um, is it polystyrene they're normally made of that kind of, we didn't want to use anything non recyclable or or non reusable so um, we use paper liners and I think they're called sealed air and they work really well um, with enough ice in in the box as well. Okay, fantastic. That's Great, good. thank you. You've asked someone else's question, actually. <laughs> Matt asked the question um, about um, vegan sustainable packaging. Did you have anything else to add to that, Matt? Yeah, hi. Hi, thanks for that. Um, yeah, no, you've, you've mostly answered it, really. So we, we're in a sort of similar situation to you in a way, albeit about three or four years behind by the sound of it. But um, a lot of the packaging companies we're speaking to are sort of we're trying to stick quite um, stringently to sort of values of sustainability and doing things in a responsible way. And some of the packaging companies sort of steer towards more um, effective solutions, but less sustainable. And, you know, did you did you come across that sort of thing? And did you stick to your guns all the way through sort of thing? Or do you feel like you had to make any small compromises along the way? Yes, we definitely faced those challenges and lots of temptations to get something that was like a fifth of the price and a lot more easily available. Um, but we yeah. stuck to our guns on it. It was really important. I think it was really important to us um, as a business. We knew it was important to our customers, but important to us as well, personally. Um, what we what you realistically have to do is you have to build that into the margin so the yeah. cost, you know, the customer wants a product from you that is vegan and sustainable, and at the moment that comes at a cost, and it's not something that we can do anything about. But over time, hopefully, it will come down. Um, yeah, yeah, we've probably changed both in terms of our meal packaging and our um, boxes, and we ship in. We have changed it over, you know, less than two years. We've probably changed it three times at least. So I think that's one thing we've just built into our businesses that we know we're going to keep evolving our packaging as new solutions come out. Um, and and a, a one thing I'd say on packaging is that we used to think plastic was the devil. And we were avoiding it at all costs. And actually, the more we've learned about it, the more we've thought it's, as long as plastic can stay in the loop, it's sometimes a better solution, both in terms of cost for us, but also it's easier for the customer to deal with it's easier to, to you know not end up in landfill um definitely avoid compostable unless it's at home compostable because i think that's a big farce that everybody's going into compostable and it's not really compostable um, yeah we yeah. find it's a case of having to sort of um almost educate your consumer a little bit as well as to you know some things on the surface look like they're not going to be great but they're actually much better than an alternative that looks like it might be great but in reality is fairly awful definitely <laughs> yeah. and it is it is about that customer messaging so we have a booklet that goes out with everybody's first order that explains where we stand on it and what all the package is made of we have a big q a section on our website and actually our delivery box the inside flap of it says 
how to recycle me and it's all the different parts that you can do and how to recycle it um oh, fantastic and yeah so yeah just keep the information out there brilliant thank you thank you okay i think i'll just i've got one last couple of questions actually from angelo thank you um i'm going to ask them in reverse order um if you do you have any tips on how to make facebook advertising work Oh, the world is a huge question. <laughs> it's a, it is a huge question, but I do. I'm going to give you what, like the like a very short version. So I'd say so for me. Um, one thing be careful of with Facebook advertising is if you don't understand it and you think I don't understand it, this is terrifying. I'm going to hire an agency. Don't do that <laughs> because you'll spend unless you're very, very, very lucky, which I haven't spoken to anybody yet on this, so it might be mythical, but. Um, mm -hmm you will spend a lot of money and not necessarily get results and not know why and not know what to do next um so that is that's something we went through um but then in terms of getting it right um firstly i'd say you can learn it really well it just takes deciding you're going to learn it and committing to it like i avoided it for ages but once you really start looking up lots of you know so many youtube videos and little courses you can do and trial and error um I think you have to really understand how a digital marketing funnel works again like a bit more foundational before you approach the ads so understanding top of funnel middle of funnel bottom of funnel what we're talking about there who are those people what are they looking for in the messaging and then using that to make sure you really find your audience and that's where i know you know we went wrong with a lot of the agencies because um they weren't finding our audience and it was starting to make me think there's nobody out there that wants to buy a product which is not true it's just that you haven't found the right people um so then once you understand you know, how you're going to reach those different people it really is about data so you have to put some money out there you have to you know understand how to do the, the sort of testing of two different variants or, or a few different variants and then reading the data and saying okay that's working better than that so then let's switch that one off and work on this one and split test something over here um and getting quite methodical about it and not looking at daily results looking at like past week or past fortnight and seeing what's happening with, with the trends of them because they do go they go up and down but um yeah so we through agencies we really struggled to get them to even hit a two return on ad spend for us which for us would be um sort of a break even on our ad spend um, and some of the ads we're now running hit up to 45 or 50 runs. So, you know, they're not all that as an average, um, but they're very healthy. Um, and so, yeah, so I think um, just really taking the time to learn as much about it as you can, learn how, how you structure them, where you set your budgets, how you think about your audiences. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's probably days and days worth of learning that I can't fit into a conversation. <laughs> Oh, that's perfect that's a great answer thank you ever so much Theo. and i think we've, we're probably out of time so i just want to say thank you ever so much for spending the time it's been really helpful um if anyone would like to contact thea directly um about the mastermind it's thea at the hyphen brook.co.uk um if you want to ask about the mastermind anyway thank you everyone and have a great weekend enjoy the sunshine <laughs>